Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest on the show is poker coach, author, and founder of the Post-Flop Poker podcast, Ben Hales. Ben's path in poker is a little different than most folks, including yours truly, simply because he actually had the foresight to put together a plan of action so that he would give himself the best possible chance of success. I know this might be shocking to you, but most folks who entered poker in the early 2000s just saved up $3,000, put everything they owned in their 94 Mitsubishi Eclipse, and drove 10 hours away hoping everything would work out. Or maybe that was just me. Anyway, 18 months after creating his vision for his poker career, Ben found himself stepping on board a plane to Bangkok, excitement coursing through his body, and his life would never be the same again. I'm super pumped to share that story along with many others with you in a couple of moments. In today's episode, you're going to learn why being a great poker coach is totally different than being a great poker player, the pivotal piece Ben was missing in his early poker career, the origin story of the Post-Flop Poker Podcast, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you author, brilliant poker coach, fellow podcaster, and all-around great guy, Ben Hales. Ben, welcome to the show. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I guess I should say it's morning for me. I doubt it's morning for you in Thailand. Yeah, we're exactly 12 hours apart, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's evening time. Yeah, you know, what can you do? I wanted to ask you, I typically start out this show from the beginning, right? Can you tell me the yeah. story of how you got involved playing cards? So, I mean, I was always into cards. I, I liked playing bridge, actually, when I was um, back in university. How old bridge. are you? Uh, right now, I'm 45. So we're talking, uh, yeah, university, like 18, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I, I started playing uh, bridge with a group of people and on the internet, uh, just in the early days of when um, playing games over the internet became a thing. I was one of those uh, that that was uh, doing it. And um, I was amazed at how, you know, we were able to communicate and chat and play bridge with uh, these people over in America, you know, it was amazing. What um, platform were you playing on? I, I, do, I, do you know what? I, I don't know. I can't <laughs> remember, but it, it, the, the graphics were horrific. You know, this was before even Yahoo and things like that. This was this was really back in the basic days uh, where I don't know. I, I, I think that the, even the cards were were just letters. The, 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 oh. We weren't even we weren't even getting graphics. <laughs> okay, was, so it was that bad. And the uh, the the amount of go on. I was gonna say the reason that I the reason I ask is um, I put in my fair share of time in uh, Excite Spades. 
so I didn't know if, if oh, yeah. playing Bridge on Excite uh, or uh, Pogo, as it was later Pogo, called. Pogo.com later, yeah. I played a bit of Hearts and Spades and Bridge over there, yeah, and Chess, yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting to the red red dot rating, that was the, <laughs> that was the holy grail. <laughs> right, yep. Uh, Purple Star Plus or yeah. we kick you out. Um, exactly. You know the script. <laughs> dude, I, I told, when I say I put my time in, I put my time in playing Spades. <laughs> um that's actually Fantastic. how i how i fell into poker was through a, a spades partner of mine who got involved wow. with poker and just said brad i think you'd be really good at it because you know yeah. we crush at spades and that was that's actually probably why you and i are sitting here talking right now yeah yeah and i mean it took a few years for me to get into poker um I would say probably about sort of seven years after that, which will have been um, 2000, 2001, 2002 era, um, when a guy uh, who went bankrupt <laughs> introduced me to the game of, of online poker. I just, I just um, bought a house for the first time, and I was working in this sales job, and and. Uh, I was inviting the the guys around to to the to the housewarming, and the, the computer room was getting set up. You know, uh, and one of the guys moved in as a lodger, and we had this elaborate computer set up, and um, it, it was it was fantastic for online gaming. Let's put it that way. That was the idea. I wasn't really thinking about poker. I was thinking about online gaming, and you know, spending as much money as possible on <laughs> setting setting up fancy computers and. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, this guy showed me online poker, and um, that was it. I, I was I was hooked immediately. I just thought, "Wow, look at this! Look at this! This is this is exactly up my tree." How did I not know about this? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually surprised so, you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I, it didn't take me long after that. I mean, it, literally uh, a few months later, I was crushing. <laughs> Well, you, so, you put in the pogo time, right? Like you, you put in the time playing cards. Um, yeah, because I mean, there's so many sort of similarities in the the way in which different games, well, you know, just game theory in general. I think if you've got a good grasp of one game, it can really help you to avoid pitfalls in other games. Um, I think so. Yeah. In my case, like I was in lit class in high school and not paying attention and just writing out spades theory, like on paper all day long, like bidding theory and tactical theory, just like not paying attention at school and just thinking about spades all day long. So like, yeah, when I got introduced to poker, like I already had, you know, I didn't even know what to call game theory, but I knew how games worked and what I should theoretically be doing. And it just translated very, very well. I'm sure that gave me a big edge, especially right in the beginning. Well, I applaud your endeavors doing all of that. That's uh, fantastic. I can't say I ever started writing down theory, but um, it was certainly going on upstairs in the in the little gray cells. Oh, man, I, I'm weirdly constructed. Like in, in elementary school, I would solve tic-tac-toe like i remember sitting there trying to solve tic-tac-toe getting it solved and then immediately making like tournament brackets and getting all of my classmates in a tic-tac-toe tournament so that i could crush them (laughs) that's that's brilliant that's brilliant there's some other thing happened to me and when i was 11 i um, went to the senior school first year maths teacher 
I don't know, some random lesson. He, he, at the end of the lesson, he introduced us all to this game. And I don't know if people know, he called it Nim or something. I don't know. There's like seven matchsticks, five matchsticks, and then three matchsticks in three rows. And you both take turns and you're allowed to eliminate as many matches as you like for one row. And the idea is that you leave the last guy to take the last match. And this blew my mind. I had to, and I went home and I utterly solved the game because he was, he, he beat everybody and, and, you know, he wouldn't tell us the secrets. And so I've gone home, come back the next day, uh, practiced beating a few of the, the schoolmates. And then I challenged him straight away. And I said, no, but, but you're going first, you know, cause that's key, right? That was key. If I went first, I lost. If he went first, he lost. And that, that was absolutely uh, key to winning the game. So <laughs> he broke his heart and he was yeah, very sad. I, don't, I, I really don't think he liked me after that. <laughs> I, could, I, I could see that. Um, I, kind of, I, I did want to go back a little bit, though. You know, you mentioned you had a job in sales. What did you graduate? What degree did you graduate with? Uh, so I... I did languages i did german and latin mm. uh which is an unusual combo i think but um yeah that's why i did mainly because i didn't really know what to do um why and... language why why were you attracted to languages uh i don't know really i i like i say i did what i was quite kind of good at, at at school and i just thought well i don't know what to do so i'll just continue doing things that i'm pretty good at uh which is a fairly lame way of choosing <laughs> Hey, it's, Subjects, I, I've heard worse. <laughs> um, do you have any idea of like why you were good at languages in general? Not really. I mean, I was pretty good at maths as well, um, maths, but not so much physics and you know more difficult stuff. But uh, I was pretty good at mathematics, and I think there's uh, some correlation between languages and and maths. So I don't know if my brain's wired a particular way, but that's what yeah. I was good at. I know Matt Hunt, who's a linguist, has a theory yeah. about poker and how different poker nationalities, people from different countries approach poker in different ways, right? Like Scandinavians play poker different than British folks and Americans. And like Argentinians play differently than Americans and Scandinavians, right? And he's convinced that there's language differences that basically make it basically how people learn how to play poker they learn it differently in those countries because of the differences in the subtle differences in language and that's why there these archetypes exist but it's just a theory i I, I don't know i mean it could be a a broader reason uh, and just just general cultural reasons rather than linguistic um but uh, i i wouldn't dismiss that um no entirely I think it's intriguing. We can't prove it one way or the other. It's just a theory that he has that I thought, you know, thought it was an interesting theory. Definitely interesting, for sure. So you get into sales. How did you get a sales job with your language degree? Didn't really know what to do. I started working for Siemens, a big German company, uh, and they were selling telephone telephone equipment to businesses so i started doing business to business sales and then moved to another company for more money uh and 
and then I and then I started getting into sort of financial sales. I, I just gave up on one job and took a different one. You know, I was kind of want, wanting new challenges all the time. A couple of years in one job was easily enough for me, and um, uh, yeah, that's what happened. I, I ended up in customer services actually before leaving the UK and becoming a professional poker player. I I, I had four years as a customer services manager for a mobile phone company which was my favorite job actually um really like a call center manager it was it was more fun than it sounds it it doesn't sound very fun but i'll take your word for it yeah Yeah, i I was it it was like the one point in my life where i thought i I could see myself actually having a career here you know um (laughs) but at the same time there was something else going on. Uh, you know, all my spare time was being spent playing poker. I was making uh, as much money part time on the poker tables as I was in, in my main job. So, it, you know, it it, it wasn't going to take long. And I also I wanted to travel, and so the the allure of taking the laptop and going around the world was far too strong. Yeah, it's tough. That freedom, the autonomy that poker players have is it's a you know, it's a sexy, sexy part of being a poker player. Maybe the part that attracts us as much as the general strategy in the game itself is just the freedom to kind of do what we want to do when we want to do it, which can be a blessing and can also be a curse. Yeah, you do. You do need to avoid pitfalls uh, about self-discipline and professionalism. But uh, if you can handle that, then... It is absolutely wonderful. Um, Like when I was coming up, man, you know, I was 20 years old and nobody, most people don't even know now that like professional poker players are a thing. But like back then, nobody knew anything about anything, right? So it was like, I just got to figure this stuff out myself. Like there's no mentors, there's no finding people who are crushers for the last 10 years on Twitter. It was, yeah, it's like basically only the strongest survive. Um, based on very limited information. And, you know, I, I do have a lot of regrets from when I was younger and just laziness regrets, you know, like just like drinking all, all the time and like playing poker 10 hours a week because that's all I needed to do to like pay all my bills and get, have my life taken care of, you know. But I guess when you're 21 years old, it's hard to have wisdom and foresight. You're kind of just still an idiot. Yeah, absolutely. Or well, not not so much an idiot, but you you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the life experience. And it, a lot depends on, you know, what grounding you were given from schooling and parents. Because some people come out at 21 and are quite adult and quite mature and yeah, make I, pretty pretty good decisions. I hate that. I don't like that. Yeah, people. yeah. Well, well they're, they're, they're the exception, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> most people are making mistakes from age... 16 to 25 right most people are making life mistakes sometimes from um, 16 to 75 it it never ends well absolutely but i mean like like the 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 really fundamental mistakes um (laughs) you know and i was certainly i needed to make my own mistakes at that age but i didn't get into poker seriously until i was past that Um, so and and financially, I was I was very sort of my my head was screwed up. My parents had really taught me well to save money, um, invest wisely, and I was in a pretty good position from just having bought a house. You know, getting on the property ladder early, 
And so that that gave me the freedom and the confidence to take the risks I did. And without that, I'm not sure I would have had the balls to do what I did. That's something you know? 20-year-olds have. They have balls. Yeah, these you know, days. They, these they... days, yeah, the millennials. Wow. I mean, I, I'm in awe of the way that they approach life uh, as, a, as a group. I, I just think that when I was 20 years old, I didn't know. I, I knew barely enough to be dangerous. And so, like, when it came to, like, risk-taking, it was like, yeah, I'm going to save up 3K, put everything in my car, and move to Florida, and play poker professionally, and it's going to work. And I just know it's going to work. And, like, that was what I did. And, like, if I could – anybody out there that thinks that that plan is an acceptable or good plan, you're so wrong. I would caution 100% of people not to do that, yet that's exactly what I did. And it did happen to work out. So, like, again, you're 20 years old, you know, no responsibilities. You you can take some risks that you really can't when you're 35, 40 years old. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I made the decision, from making the decision to go away and travel the world with my laptop and be a poker player, it was 18 months from that point to when I left the UK. And that period of time was so valuable because it, it it gave me... Uh, so every month I, w- I was doing my job, saving up more money, making money on the poker tables, keeping my spreadsheets of you know profit and loss, proving to myself, proving to the people who, who cared about me, look, you know, this is working. I am making this money every month. It is regular-ish. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, you, you know... I, it's a solid plan. It's not, you know, it's not a pie in the sky plan. So, you know, you need to back me. And, and, and that was very, very useful because I went away without, without, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wanted to go away with my parents in particular um, thinking I was being an idiot, you know? <laughs> so I kind of at least got them partially on board. Um, and over the years, you know, they've, they've come to realize that it wasn't such a bad choice. And tell me about this choice. So you save up money 18 months. Um, the, you told your employers what your plan was and when you're planning on quitting. Is that the case? Uh, I told, um, I told, I think I told my boss about three months before. I didn't want to tell them too soon because, you know, things might have changed and uh, they, you know, they're going to start to treat you differently. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, it, I, I told them in plenty of time and I worked my whole notice period and, you know, they were good to me and I was good to them. It was a very amicable split up, which isn't always the case when you leave uh, a business. So I, f- I felt pretty good about that. And tell me, how'd you feel quitting and getting on the plane with your laptop embarking on this uh, adventure through poker? Oh, yeah, I could I, I can literally transport myself to getting onto the plane with some music blaring in my ears and just feeling the the most amazing waves of happiness and freedom just pulsing through me and just just the the zest for what's about to happen in my life. I I don't think that the anticipation of all of that was ever stronger than that moment as I as I stepped onto the the planes to leave Manchester Airport. It was a wonderful experience. Yeah, like that's the fork in the road, right? That's the day that 
things yeah. change and hopefully they never change again which is yeah it's anticipation it's exciting you get on the plane where did you choose to live uh or actually were you just going to travel around what was your plan yeah so um i, I wanted to to do a lot of traveling but uh i, I was going to choose cape town as an initial starting point but uh, at the time there was a lot of political unrest there um so i i came to bangkok instead and Sud's law has it a few months later there was like all sorts of <laughs> military problems here and <laughs> governments changing so yeah not quite as stable as I thought but um Bangkok was my base and has remained so um for 15 years yeah I've been here from 2006 and yeah so it'll be 15 years by the time I leave here it'll be over 15 years and yeah, I have a lot of poker friends that live in Thailand. What is what is it about Thailand that keeps you there? So initially, I wanted somewhere really cheap, which is why I was thinking Cape Town or, or Bangkok uh, as good options. And somewhere which is well set up to cater for foreigners, um, expats. Bangkok's pretty cool with, um, you know, just being able to access everything and there's a great network of people here i've got hundreds of friends um about to go off to christmas on the beach with 40 people <laughs> it's gonna be awesome so i built it's just it's just got the infrastructure and i've really i, I i've really loved living here you've got you're just a hop away from a beautiful beach you know you a hop away from some lovely countryside walking up in in the mountains you can bob up to chiang mai um the, it's got everything it really has i i couldn't really have picked a better destination the people and of course the climate i i love hot weather i don't like cold weather uh, so the uk was not a good fit for me in that regard <laughs> Yeah, much cheaper than the UK as well. Right near a beach, much cheaper, warmer. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, make, make no mistake. I, I'm, you know, I was never and I have never been a, a huge earner from poker. I, I've made a steady income, um, but I was never a, a, a high stakes player. And uh, how come c- coming? Um, I don't know. Just a, I, I guess a a little bit of timidity through through those good years, two thousand six to two thousand eleven. I should have. I should have experimented with higher stakes, but I was kind of in my comfort zone. I really felt happy and I just didn't want to rock the boat too much. Uh, you know, kind of took out of it what I thought I should be taking out of it without um, taking too many risks. And um, No shame in being happy a, for five years. Yeah. I mean, I think if I'd, had, if I'd invested in... Um, a mentor or had um you know some better players around me who you know like uh, a stable or something then then I probably would have been pushed forward but I didn't have that um I actually the poker players I met here I didn't really like very much so <laughs> I, I sort of stayed clear of them and, and I actually really I, I'm kind of solitary like that in terms of my social life I don't really like talking about poker outside of the business stuff um mm-hmm. uh, i just want to get away from it the last thing i want is a 
an evening drinking with my friends and some guy comes up and says, what do you do? Oh, I'm a poker player. And it's, oh, and, and they, they just sort of latch onto you. And it's like, I, they, all they want to do is talk about some stupid poker stories. And, you know, and I'm really selfish like that. I just, just instantly turned off to that situation. So I, I kind of have a, a switch where, you know, I am I, either in poker mo- mode or I'm not in poker mode. Don't get me wrong. I love poker and I, I love uh, talking about it, but not all of the time. For sure. It, it's, you know, we've been, we've both been playing for a very long time, right? So you need space away from poker to just kind of shoot the shit, hang out and just be a human being that talks about things other than poker. And one of the most, you know, one of the largest benefits of private coaching, like you said, is having a mentor, right? That pushes you. You know, I think this is the first thing that I say to some of my students, depending on the student is like, you're playing too small. What's your bankroll? You ought to be pushing yourself because you can beat bigger stakes. Like you have the skill level to win at larger stakes. And like, there's only one way to exponentially increase your hourly rate at poker. And that is to double the stakes that you're playing, right? Is to move up. Um, you can also, actually, there's two ways. You can double your win rate or you, you can play more tables. <laughs> yeah, you can double your win rate. You can play more volume, but it, ideally you just yeah. play bigger stakes. And, you know, nowadays, like, I think that like in the early 2000s, I just hopped in at like 400 no limit. Like the first time I played online, it was like, oh, 2-4 seems like an okay stake. I've got a bankroll and I just played. Nowadays, it's like, let's start at 2NL, work my way up to 50NL, play a million hands. And like every time I see this, it drives me insane. I'm like, please don't do that. (laughs) I hate that approach because like whenever you can take a minimum wage job and make more money than you're making playing poker, just take the minimum wage job and save up a bankroll, right? So that you can start playing at like 50NL. You can study poker on the side, but learning how to crush two NL is not going to do very much for you when you decide to play hundred NL It's just going to be different games against different players. So yeah, yeah I mean, rant. like if you, if you're, if you're just kind of learning how to play the game, then I think, you know, the, the, the micros are useful, but um, yeah, sure. If you're, if you're already competent, then uh, they can, they can hold you back um, for sure. Yeah, because the types the types of opponents and the levels of thinking required uh, as you go up the stakes just just keeps changing, and um, you can develop bad habits by by winning uh, at, at low stakes. You can start to develop really really bad frequencies, and they get exploited by better players when you when you move up the stakes. So yeah, it's it's a dangerous thing, but there are pros and cons. I think. Yeah, if you're just like learning how the game works, you know, like then clicking around at risking minimal money makes a lot of sense. But it, if you want your career path to be poker, you want to treat it as like a serious hobby where you earn money on the side, then, you know, just save up a bankroll and attack it from that angle. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, 
Like, how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition, that you want to create more flow in your life, and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going. Right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress, and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit pokerwithpresence.com. Join Jason Sue's email newsletter and then schedule a free consult with the master of presence himself. One more time, that's pokerwithpresence.com. Tell me about post-flop poker, right? So when did post-flop poker podcast launch? Why did you choose to go in the teaching direction? Okay, so if we if we hold off on post-flop poker for a second, because I started actually teaching poker probably back in so i arrived in bangkok 2006 Mm -hmm. and i think by 2009 i I was actually taking on a few clients just you know over skype and it 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 was mainly just people i I was on the leaderboards on pokestars people kind of would approach me and say you know you're, you're really good how do you do it sort of thing and just literally people from online would would chat to me and ask me for help and so I, I used to just try and coach them over Skype and I was without any resources I didn't know because back then there what wasn't much in terms of teaching resources so it, it was difficult to to do but I did my best fumbling around and uh, I didn't charge them much money but um, it got me thinking about coaching and you know as the years went by I started to take it a bit more seriously um, and uh, I think by kind of 2013, I was getting a bit fed up with the uh, the fact that, you know, after Black Friday, I was having to work twice as hard for the same money or work the same amount for half the money. And I, I didn't enjoy that. So I, I kind of started focusing more on the coaching, partly for just a bit more life balance, but partly because of po- poker was burning out a little bit, you know. Still, I was still playing quite a bit, but I, I didn't have the appetite to tile 12 tables and, you know, play thousands and thousands of hands every day. So uh, the coaching was a, a little bit of an escape from that um, and also gave me a little bit of social interaction. Um, and it gave me a different buzz of a different type of achievement. And um, through the years, I... I got better at it and I feel like, you know, I'm a vastly different poker coach now than I was back at, back when I started. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that, that took quite a long time to evolve. Um, 
and uh you know i was i was doing other projects i was making videos for training sites um uh, i was i was starting to think about how to use holder manager which was my tool of choice um at the time i was i was really focused on holder manager and what what it, what you could get out of it i think uh, i i even did videos for holder manager uh explaining some of the statistics and i did a, a big series for tournament poker edge where uh i explained every aspect of holder manager um for their members and it was really really well received so i kind of focused a lot on what what statistics could bring to the table and and so much so that i conceived of this book where i would analyze all the types of post-flop situations that could arise and looking at a database from an unusual perspective because it was a results-based perspective i was looking at you know what decision trees what betting lines were creating good outcomes you know with with the 40 million hands in a database you can actually analyze quite a lot of depth that you know even river decisions and things you can see what's working and what isn't and so it wasn't from a gto perspective at all because in those days even in 2015 i barely knew what gto was you know so um, very much thinking about what actually works at the tables and i came up with this book called post flop and i went i went through all the post flop situations all the types of flops that could come down and gave my advice on on the findings that i'd come up from the database so it was a very data driven book with uh it was like 550 pages of lots of hand examples um very very thorough piece of work and it took me 18 months to write and i was working hard on it you know it wasn't like i was slacking it was a it was a big project and i absolutely loved it you know so i released that and one of my clients was uh he he was building a website for me um and i was giving him some free poker lessons and he said to me, well, look, to market this, a good strategy might be to, to, to do a podcast. So we launched the Post-Flop Poker Podcast, and that's where it originated. Um, Scott, uh, my, my client who, whose idea it was, he, he left the podcast after, I don't know, 12, 13 episodes, and uh, there's been a couple other hosts. Um, but it's now Merv and I, you your listeners may remember Murph because he's been on your podcast before me. But yeah, we, we've been going since 2015 and we're on, I think, episode 114 coming up. So, oh, man. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot of episodes. I love Merv. Um, Merv is just a genuinely great guy. How did you find Merv, by the way? How did that, how did that come about? It, it's not a particularly sensational story. Um, Scott left and it, it, you know, it was me and, um, and Mike, who is a Dutch friend who, uh, was, uh, was doing the sort of hand analysis with me, but we needed someone to control it. So I just sent, um, an email out to my, my base and, um, advertised on the podcast. 
So I think I did the the hosting for for an episode or two, and uh, I interviewed a few people. And Merv was he was very nervous, and I was worried about that. But he was by far the most genuine, and 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 I felt as though he had this love for not only poker but for what we were trying to do at post flop poker um and i felt a warmth towards him immediately uh, and so i gambled on him and um yeah he's he's been he's been wonderful yeah he's authentic genuine good dude i can certainly see how you would get that vibe and want to bet on merv early on in the process you mentioned a lot of things there uh one of the things that you mentioned that i find extremely refreshing is your journey as a poker coach, right? Starting out, thinking about coaching, thinking about transferring of knowledge. It's not a thing that I think all poker coaches think about, but coaching and playing are two totally different skill sets. And you have to train yourself on how to be a better coach, on how to use better language. Just there's so many aspects of it that are different than playing that like when you first start coaching, you're not going to be the greatest coach in the world, right? Like there's a lot of room to grow and a lot of things to think about. And I just haven't heard many people talk about that. Yeah. I I knew that it was something I might have in my locker because I'd done a year's teaching of English in, uh, in Germany. Yeah. Assistant teachers. It's just uh, as part of my degree course. Um, So that, that opened my eyes up to some of the skills that, is needed for teaching generally uh communication skills you mentioned of course very important and you know toning down my manchester accent a bit <laughs> but it's important because when you're speaking to people especially when english is not their first language um it it's been great to uh to to sort of make sure that i'm thinking about how they're feeling and um make sure that i'm making myself understood and making them feel comfortable and even i've had, i've conducted sessions where i speak in english and they speak in german because i i can speak fluent german but um it's easier for me to speak english but why not have them speak german back because i understand it fluently so you know and that's how we've operated uh, with with more, three or four german clients uh, over the years um and that's that's, that's a lovely bonus um which has, has given me a bit of a buzz and uh, it helps with the communication overall. But I, I agree with you that the coach has a lot of responsibility to um, ensure that you, you're not just focused on poker. You are also focused on the process of transferring knowledge, as you put it. Right. Yeah. It's it, teaching. Teaching is just a different skill set than playing cards. And some of the best poker players in the world are pretty shit teachers. And like, that's just the way the cookie crumbles um going back to all your your holdo manager database review like basically you're doing mass database analysis before hand to note before the modern tools that are used nowadays to conduct mda so i i can imagine that that took you probably quite a while sifting through a holdo manager database yeah i mean it it, it took it took a long time for sure but it 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 was already pretty good. I mean, Holder Manager two were, was um, was already you know with the reports and filters, it was already 
a very strong tool. Um, and I think when you get into the nitty gritty of it and you really know how to use it, 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 it was really quite tremendous. I mean, poker tracker may have been even better to be honest, but, uh, uh because I'd got my teeth into holder manager, that's why, where I stuck. I, I actually use poker tracker now, but, um, at the time, older manager uh was my was the was the one i loved using so i rolled yeah. with it i've used the uh the analogy before that uh poker tracker is to me as bras are to chandler bing like i don't get poker tra- <laughs> i don't understand it um my student will pull up their database in a coaching session and I'm like, okay, so filter out for this. And they they start clicking around and I'm like, Oh God, I, this, I don't understand this poker tracker thing. Um, it's just so different than hold a manager. I, I don't know. I, I just always had an affinity towards the user experience of, uh, well, the hold a manager is easier to get started because the user interface is more friendly, but poker trackers, it sits a bit better on people's computers. Um, and it 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 actually probably has more functionality than holder manager, but it, it it's just not set up. It doesn't give you all the reports straight away. It doesn't. It's yeah. It's just more fiddly to get used to. And so I think for people who are not whizzes on computers, you know, holder manager was always uh, was always the choice if possible. Yeah. Yeah. What do you? Th- what's the most unexpected thing that's come from your journey through poker? Most unexpected thing? Ooh, I don't know. I'm a predictable guy, Brad. You know, no, you, you just knew the lot, future. Lot, you, you knew 15 years ago. Me. <laughs> 15 years ago, you're going to be a podcast host and writing a bunch of books and coaching hundreds. Well, of, people. of course, of course, I didn't know any of that. Um, I just, I just don't tend to try to predict the unpredictable. Uh, I do think about the future a lot from. Um, the perspective of the world and the universe, but not from my my own future. I don't try to do too much planning, and uh, I, I mean, I I do the ne- the necessary planning, but I don't try and do sort of beyond that because I can, I feel like if you do too much, you you can wind up setting goals that are going to become unrealistic, or you you know you're setting yourself up for a fall in some way. So I, I don't know. So you're My passing mind's... on the unexpected. There, nothing, <laughs> nothing comes to mind. What? Uh, what's un- unexpected happened to me in the last fifteen years? Um, yeah, just something that that happened that you didn't uh, see coming. Well, I got married. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time when I wasn't sure that would ever happen. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay. Um, fair enough. I, th- I think we'll accept marriage. I asked the judges. They gave me the nod of approval. That was uh, it, considered just about acceptable, but borderline. Okay. Yeah. I'll try and do better with the next one. There All were right. three judges. The you know the one of them kind of shook their head, but the others is a reluctant nod. Yeah, um, okay. What, what does your process look like for regularly improving your poker game? So right now, I'm not actively uh, playing. Um, I playing mainly just for fun um i'm winding down completely from playing poker and i intend to pretty much n- not play professionally in the future okay let's go back 15 years there 10 years like whenever when you were in the thick of it and like oh, in yeah. the grind what was your process then for trying to improve your game 
so I, I uh, before the before the days of Holder Manager, I, um, I used to try and try and just do hand analysis, um, which was fairly crude. I used to read books. I used to watch whatever was available. Um, I, I tried to s- sort of get information from other people where possible. But once Holder Manager arrived, uh, that was it. I was on it. And I, I, w- I was intently looking at patterns of, you know, betting patterns that were working, you know. When can you check raise a flop for auto profit you know when there's just certain certain things which i would find and start experimenting and think oh my god this is just working almost all the time it's just this i've just got to keep doing this and of course i was developing frequencies that were ridiculous but if it's working it's working and um as as time's gone on i've realized that as as the player pool uh, changes and that they get used to handling people who are making certain types of moves and responding to that, uh, you know, I've got to c- continuously update what I'm doing. And it gets quite tiring after a while, you know. But um, I, I guess, how, you know, how successful was I in, in doing it, all of that? Not massively successful. I, I was modestly successful at, at maintaining a, a modest amount of profitability through, you know, the last five years or so. But most of the money I made was prior to that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, they go straight to Pio to kind of see how Pio plays spots, right? Yeah, but, yeah, I do it myself, yeah. <laughs> right. I've never sat down at a poker table and sat against Pio. Like Pio's never yeah. walked in the poker room and sat down next to me, right? So like the way that you're going about it, seeing how human beings react, actually react versus theoretically react, I think that back then is a very powerful way to go about developing strategies and exploits on the population. Like it's just for sure, for sure. I mean it it was the way to do it because Nobody knew what GTO was. Nobody was thinking about GTO. Um, it, it just wasn't a thing. And sure, there will have been a, a tiny percentage of the player pool that will have understood theoretically what it was. But most people were playing on feel and were their, their frequencies were what they were and they weren't adjusting very much. There was very little in terms of adjustment, I think most of the regs I used to come across didn't seem to adjust much. They were probably multi-tabling. They weren't really paying too much attention to subtle changes that, you know, were going on. So there, there, was, there was easy opportunities to exploit. And, you know, in, in the last five years, I've got on board with, um, you know, looking in the solvers and seeing what is actually perfect poker. And it doesn't look much like what I've played through my career, to be perfectly honest. But I, I've really got a buzz out of understanding it and, you know, the, some of the surprising things that they, the, the uh, solvers like PO Solver uh, suggest, absolutely fascinating, you know? And there's, there's nothing I love more than getting a hand and going, right, well, what, what's optimal here? Well, wow, really? I'm supposed to do that 80% of the time? That's ridiculous. How, 
you know, why? And then thinking about why. And then once I've discovered the why, I feel a sense of, uh, oh, okay, I get it. I get yeah, the reasoning. Extracting the principle, not yeah, just the, exactly. the individual action. And yeah, and that's really important for people who are studying. You know, you're not, you're not going to come across this spot ever again. So what you're trying to do is, is find out um, the rationale behind it so that in a similar spot in the future, you'll, you'll understand, you know, what frequency might make sense. Yeah. To be fair uh, about what you were doing, looking a lot different than what Pio was doing. I, I could say with extreme confidence that unless you're a robot, all of our strategies at the poker table, n- like no, no human being strategy looks like what Pio does. It's like, a, it's an impossible thing to execute, uh, you know, the quote unquote optimal strategy and probably not something that you should even aspire to do anyway, at the end of the day, playing against human beings. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of having uh, a, a kind of set of default ranges that you are going to see as optimal and uh, try, try to find a, an optimal strategy in each given spot but then adjust away from that. So I think, um, you know, if people are trying to go straight to an exploitative strategy, there, there, there could be pitfalls in trying to do that. Whereas if you, if, you, if you start off by asking, right, what's his optimal range here? What's my optimal response? And then, okay, well, in what way is he deviating from his optimal range? And then, okay, Given that I think he's deviating too much towards bluffs or whatever, what should my correct reaction be? You know, having that kind of structure to the thought process um, is what I would recommend to people today because I think that poker is getting extremely difficult. And, you know, the theory of it, you're going to have to stay up with it. It's not going to be possible to just play off feel anymore um you're going to need to have some concept of what is correct um and uh so i i'm on board with learning some gto strategy even if you're not applying it at the table you you should know what it is you know what's interesting is i'm going to disagree with you a little bit here because i actually learned poker theory the opposite way right like the most often recommended way is like theory to exploits and then understanding hand incentives. I went from the other way of looking at hand incentives to develop exploits. And then once the exploits were working and I was finding success with them, I could actually construct what I thought the theory would look like and why the exploit was working. So I kind of went about it, you know, it's like a, uh, in math yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like in math class where, the teacher gives you a problem and makes you show your work. I was always that kid that like came up with the answers in different Answer. ways than the work teacher yeah, yeah, would work backwards. Um, and I think that like that's a viable option for a lot of people depending on how they're constructed as a human being, just looking at hand incentives, human behavior, find the exploit, and then understanding theory through the, the exploit. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And if it's working for you, then – that's that's amazing. I I still think that it's very difficult to arrive at a GTO solution 
you know, without using a solver, it's very difficult to sort of picture what it, it would look like if you are starting off by thinking about exploits. And so my, I'm going to stick with my process as, as my preferred option, but I could be wrong. I mean, you, maybe your way is going to work better. I don't know. No, I don't think it's one size fits all, to be honest. I think that just different human beings are constructed different ways and they problem solve from different angles. And like, you know, if I would have tried to learn poker by pure theory and math, that's not how that's not what resonates with me. And I know I would have struggled. Like I know that I would have struggled had I not come at it from like a psychological human perspective first, because math is not the area where I thrive. I think understanding how people think and incentives was really my strong point early on in my poker career. Sure, sure. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, you know, because the the practicalities of being at a poker table and thinking about uh, these slightly more simple things like, you know, what's my opponent doing too much of, you know, that's it, it, it's a much easier way of looking at things than by going straight to oh, what's the optimal frequencies for everything here. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly difficult starting point. But um, yeah, if I were learning today, if I were learning the game from scratch, I, I would probably dive into the solvers and and try to try to go from a GTO to to the exploitative rather than the other way around. But you know, I don't know. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm mathematical minded. I, it's just interesting to me having like you know Mark Herm dip throng on the pod and he like antagonizes people for using solvers right like he's never used a yeah, solver yeah. yet yeah. he's just a crusher year after year after year and I've I've heard many of these types of stories and it's like what's happening here because something's clearly happening right like some there there's some they're just approaching it from a different angle which you know is fascinating fascinating to me. No, there's no doubt that right now in 2020. There's still there's there's still a possibility for people to crush without having to worry about all of this theory, you know. But I'm I'm thinking about people who are learning the game today with a view to making money out of the game in the next three or four years or whatever. I, I the way I see the game going is getting more and more solved, and I feel as though you kind of have to invest in in the theoretical side of it because otherwise you are going to get left behind. If you've got any kind of desire to play at a reasonable level, um, and I, th- I think it's going to be tough. And it solvers is. are going to they're going to start to really influence poker in a massive way. Right now, I think they're only influencing it a little bit. But in the future, I think they're going to influence it hugely. I, I think that, you know, you're right. And there, there's certainly a place for solvers in study. I, I think that it's a valuable and a, and a powerful tool if you're asking the solver right questions. Uh, I had uh, Matt, Marinelli, Matt, blah, blah, Matt Marinelli on the podcast, who's uh, the winningest player at Poker Detox, um, recently left Poker He's Detox. He's winningest, the word. <laughs> winningest, I think so. He, he, he's won the most it money. It is now. He's, it is now. He's won the most <laughs> money out of anybody in poker detox he's a 10 20 no limit crusher winning at like 10 bbs per hundred and you know he just said like if you think that these guys playing at the biggest stakes are playing optimally like you're just out of your mind you know they're they're making mistakes just like everybody else and 
I think that it relates to what you said as a feel player, right? I think feel players get a bad rap, but when people say I'm a feel player or you're a feel player, what I think they're trying to say is that you're playing based on your feelings, right? Like I feel scared here. Therefore I'm going to fold. I feel happy here. Therefore I'm going to, you know, call or raise, or I feel greedy here. So I'm going to just size up massively with my value, but feel players in my mind, you know, they're reading the feelings of their opponents. They're reading yeah, what, how sure. their opponent feels in this spot. And like, would they feel good bluffing? Do they think they have a lot of fold equity? If, if they don't feel, if they wouldn't feel good bluffing and you don't think they think they have a lot of fold equity, then they're likely value heavy when they use this sizing on the river. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree that that's, that's exactly what they're doing. Um, and there is, there are, good field players making making lots of money here uh ignore strategy um and mathematics and right it's, it's true we- even today it's the, there are plenty of them i'm not denying that yeah <laughs> i'm not i'm not against it or for it it's just uh, i feel like the right the the, the approach which is going to yield the most likely path to success for players today is going to be diving into lots of difficult theory and understanding the mathematics behind the game because that's the future of poker, unfortunately. It's no longer going to be possible um, to make lots of money as a professional. Sure, if you just want to have some fun, which most people will, you know, fine, don't worry about it. Have, have some fun and you may, may make some money, you may, may, may lose some money but you're not going to progress your game uh, as far as if you do some study. You have to study and you have to know basic poker math and you have to be willing to look at line work. You have to be willing to invest in looking at mass database analysis. Um, specifically, I think MDA is way more impactful than PIO, especially early on in your career. I think PIO can do a lot of damage to folks early on in their career because they make false conclusions they ask Pio wrong questions. Pio to me is like a like a genie that is going to ruin your life if you ask it a bad question. And people who are new to poker just automatically start asking it really bad questions and making false yeah, assumptions. People who are new to poker can't afford it. So people what? <laughs> people who are new to poker can't generally afford it. I don't know that that's true. It's a, so many people like so oh, many the, people. The proper version. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, let, we'll we'll move on, move on from the uh, yeah, the yeah. intuitive and analytical debate. I, yeah, I, I'm going to die on my hill though that there's multiple ways to skin a cat, and I think folks should approach poker with what they're strong at. I think that if you're strong, math heavy, that's a fine way, and I think the other way is fine too if you understand people, because understanding people can take you a real long ways in poker. Oh, especially for live plays, yeah. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? 
for now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future. The price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. What's the most high-impact action players can take to improve their game? Well, that's going to depend a lot on the stage that that person's at. Um, and you know what, what type of poker they're playing, um, you know, live online, uh, what stakes. So it's quite a broad question. Uh, do, do you want to like make it more specific, or or do you just want me to fire away? I don't want to make. I, I don't. I'm having problem coming up with the specificity. Right. I, I guess it's um, maybe high impact action away from the poker table that players can take to improve their game whether it's you know investing in a book in software solvers a private coach finding a community yeah so i mean for me um the the biggest thing by far for me the 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 tool that made the biggest difference for me was was holder manager and i think that either holder manager or poker tracker are still the number one tools for somebody who's playing online poker. If you're playing live poker, then I think like you're going to need to focus more on the dynamics of live poker. That's why my response was a little bit guarded because I think, you know, for live players, I don't have as much advice because I don't know as much about live poker. But for for online poker, yeah, definitely a database, Flopzilla, um, and... If you can afford uh, a coach, that's an amazing thing to do. Even if, even if you meet up with a coach, you know, once every two months or something like that, it can it can have a big impact on supporting your growth. Um, so, depending on your budget and the the speed at, at which you want to progress, uh, those are the things I think are the biggest impact. You can, of course, join communities and training sites as well, which are, you know, for some people that's that's going to propel pro- propel them forwards even faster. So yeah, I'm not going to rule those out. Um, yeah, the, all those things are going to be massive. And going back to you know just knowing yourself and understanding what you need as a person, right? Like I think community would have been less valuable to me than a private coach because i needed somebody to whip my ass that i respected and yeah i mean i'm i'm on board with that from from most people but mm-hmm. i i do think there are the i mean if you can afford x dollars a month for a training site there's you're gonna get a lot of information and if you use use these sites to your you know if, if you really make sure you are dedicated to watching the videos and taking notes and learning different you'll come up with so many different ideas you can implement to your game that that's massively valuable as well and a little bit more cost effective than a one-on-one coach which is and, and a better entry point i think too because you know you want to take yourself 
kind of as far as you can take yourself or 90% yeah. of how far you can take yourself. And then once you kind of reach that plateau point, that's when you reach out to a coach who can give you different perspectives to, you know, kind of jumpstart your poker growth and show you things that, you know, build on top of what you've already learned and show you things that maybe you never considered before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've worked with a, quite a few of the training sites. Um, and so I, I've, I've, I've looked at most of the materials on them. And I, I would say that, you know, if you've got a training site with 10, 15 coaches giving you lots and lots of videos, the amount of information and valuable information you can pick up from just a $20, $30, $50 a month investment, whatever you're going to pay, it, it's absolutely huge. So definitely consider that. Um, absolutely. It's gonna yeah, it's going to work for a lot of people. But then the personalization you can't you can't put a price on that if you've got somebody who can put put their finger on where you're going wrong and look at your numbers as well i mean that's one thing that i think i'm good at in terms of a first session with a client you know if they've got 50,000 plus hands in their database just going through the frequencies and saying well look okay that's a problem that's a problem I'm not sure about that we'll have to have a look at a few hands and then pulling up some hands and then seeing what's going on and just giving them four or five big pointers in half an hour, you know, uh, you could kind of pinpoint things quite, quite quickly. I'm amazed that players don't do that more often, you know, um, just, uh, I mean, I've had over 500 clients in, in the time I've been coaching, but sometimes I wonder, you know, given, given how much of a benefit that is, Sometimes I wonder why I've not got more people knocking on the door, you know? I think just it, people just pride, pride, you know? I think maybe people's pride yeah. they or maybe fear. They don't want to reach out. They're afraid of paying money or maybe they're afraid of getting taken advantage of by hiring a, a coach that they don't know if they trust or not. I'm not sure, yeah. but, you know, I've got... I've got guys like one guy in my group right now, he's gone from hundred and L to one K and L in the last four months um, through private coaching, through my elite program, mindset, uh, mindset training. And he took pre-flop bootcamp. He was a five ten live player who had never played online and kind of just jumped into online and found me to make the transition. And don't get me wrong. He was thinking at a very high level, like when he first wow. started playing online, but you know, just 10, 10 xing his stake. I mean, it's it's just crazy how much value private coaching can have for very specific people. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fairly extreme example. I, I mean, I've I've had like only one or two from my five hundred that have achieved that kind of stake level. I think, but um, yeah, most of mine are starting a little bit lower down. Um, but the 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 benefits are just crazy. Even even if you're told one really important thing that you take away and it 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 improves your profit by three or four percent, that when it's manifested in 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 terms of profit and loss at the end of the month, should more than pay for a, a you know a single coaching session. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely in favor of of people looking at it as a a good investment. Um, I feel like. 
it is expensive when people look at it and they compare it with other ways of improving their game they think oh yeah it's really expensive um but that could be a false economy yeah i mean it's expensive because one-to-one time doesn't scale you know it it, one-to-one time as a private coach like you are there specifically targeting this human being's leaks that are right in front of you and can give them very very specific advice whereas when you're you know doing a webinar you're coaching a bunch of people giving a lot of more general advice to them uh, which may or may not apply to each of the individual humans that are showing up and watching the webinar sure um when you think about joy in your career playing cards what's the first memory that comes to mind um so professionally or beforehand either way actually anytime in your life yeah i mean loads of times i can i can remember just playing card games as a boy and winning and and the the feeling uh it's the same feeling all each and every time it's the same feeling and then like i told you playing bridge and i was never particularly good but i i had a a school friend he played for england and and he he playing with him that was pretty amazing when i didn't mess up and (laughs) we did well and I got the seal of approval. It was like, whoa, yeah, that was good. And then playing poker, you know, some of the first wins, um, uh, I, I had no bankroll management skills and I was entering tournaments for way too much money. And, and I actually took one down. I think it was about, I don't know, one and a half K prize money or something, the first prize. And But, but it, for me at that point, uh, back in 2001, 2002, that was it. That, that was my bankroll. I was bankrolled. I didn't need to deposit, you know, that was it. I, I was on the way. Um, so that that moment was massive. Because I think if that had gone wrong, you know, and maybe I de- redeposited and lost or something, I could, I could have, you know, that could have been it. I might have got disillusioned um, because I had no concept of what bankroll management was. I just... Uh, I happened to to run well early on, and or, or I was good early on. I don't know, probably a bit of both. And but the feeling of winning was was very very good. And oh, I, yeah. I think oh, and, and my first live win, wow, yeah, that was that was terrific. I've not played a lot of live poker, but my win rate's incredible. <laughs> Tell me about your first live win. Was it what it, at what point in my, your career? It was my first ever live tournament. It was in 2004, I think. <laughs> first um, ever live tournament. Yeah. You just take it down. Yeah. Uh, there was about 45 entrants plus rebuys, uh, of which there was probably another 45 rebuys. So um, that's the kind of... And and, it, and I think it was a £50 tournament in a casino in Leeds. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I took home a... Nice wad of cash, not huge, pretty pretty small by your standards. But um, the feeling of winning at four o'clock in the morning, having you know gone through all of that, uh, was. It, I mean, you guys at home listening, you know, you know what it feels like to take down a tournament. I mean, wow, wow. There's no better, and, and that's why I prefer tournament poker to cash cash games because of that joyous moment. And, and, you know, there's a lot of times when you, you're not winning, but you know that, that, that that's possible. Whereas in a cash game, it's just a little bit less 
of an up and down. You know, the 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 roller coaster is not as extreme in cash games. My, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an amazing feeling to take one down, and I think I've I'm, I've probably only won one live tournament that I can remember in my career, and it was on Sun Cruise Casino, uh, like way back in the day. I don't play a lot of MTTs, and um, it was actually it felt great, and then a little bit of bitterness too because I me me and two friends had um split action in this tournament there was probably 100 people and like they bust straight away so i'm playing this tournament i take it down i get a third of the prize money and they had been in the cash game the whole time i was in the tournament and just crushing and i was like what the hell is this (laughs) have to give away have to give away most of the money that i won and you guys won money on top of it um so unfortunately my one tournament victory was a little bit sullied (laughs) uh bad luck (laughs) um the opposite question now when you think about pain in your career playing cards what's the first memory that comes to mind the aftermath of black friday was pretty grim um you know money tied up and not not the not knowing what's going to happen next that that was a tough time so really 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 minor things have frustrated me you know horrible disconnections from the internet when you you've been working six hours in a tournament and then bum it's gone some stupid power outage and the frustration level having to try and deal with those kind of moments is has been challenging for me um i have got better at it over the years but i think in those early years playing where i was quite seriously I really wanted to be good 2006 7 8 time when there were setbacks I found them more difficult to deal with the pain was more real I think in the aftermath I've got much more perspective on life so when I have setbacks I'm very easily able to think well yes but you know I've got a wife I've got I've got belongings I've got so much going for me does it really matter that you've just lost a small amount of money yeah, I mean, so, some some aspects of my uh, so non poker stuff like um, haven't gone as well. Like, uh, yeah, I wanted to build my brand, the Post Flop Poker and the Post Flop Poker Podcast, and um, although there've been successes, there's also been stagnations, and you know, haven't grown as quickly as a. As I've wanted at times, and you know, small setbacks within that journey um, have frustrated me, and I've I felt like, yeah, I slightly missed the boat um, in terms of un- understanding that I needed to invest in some online marketing skills, and you know, how to do all of that kind of thing, and and now I just I've kind of given up. Thought, well, yeah, I'm I'm going to go go back to the UK and do different things so I'm, I'm my mind's in a different place but um i'm disappointed with myself that i didn't recognize some weaknesses in my approach i mean uh, it, as someone who has who has has and is going through the same exact thing i i certainly feel the empathy there and it, it's just a really hard thing to do when you coach poker you play poker you produce a podcast you know you're writing a book you're doing all of these different things that at the end of the day when it comes to like marketing and promotion you're just kind of 
that that's just the the thing that I think is um, underinvested in as it relates to content yeah. creators. Plus, there's a lot of emotional emotional stuff that you got to work through as it relates to like marketing and promoting yourself. You know, it's um, yeah. I mean, I finished my my project, like the post flop project. The last thing I wanted to do was promote it. You know, I'm like, I've just finished it. Hooray! It's done. It's done. I want to move on and do something else. What, well, but no, hang on. You've got you've got to actually sell it. You know. <laughs> yeah, people don't just show up on your door buying stuff. You actually have to yeah. sell, learn how to sell things. Which for poker players, at least for me, was not a not a concept that I just immediately understood and intuitively knew what to do or how to do it. Um, it's uh, it, it's a process. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's it's not one I'm particularly excelled at um so that sits a bit uncomfortably but uh, i'm okay i've forgiven myself and, and i've moved on <laughs> that's what you got to do you, you yeah. brought up a, a painful memory of mine that i i forgot about oh. it just like bubbled up to the surface but i remember i was playing Sorry, 200, i was playing 200 sit and goes on party poker probably 2004 or so and like eight to ten tables at a time and I was three-handed or four-handed in like five of them, and my mouse ran out of batteries. And oh. I remember like trying to move my mouse, and it, like it wouldn't move, and seeing myself timing down, and like, holy shit, like running around my house trying to find like a controller, something that had AA batteries, watching you know me sit out and just get blinded away. Uh, yeah. That was uh, <laughs> that's that's an, an it's experience the little that things. I won't, won't forget. It's, it's, it's the little things that that uh could be the most annoying and painful and and you don't have perspective in the moment do you you, you just you, you feel that you feel it yeah you just the feel emotion. the anxiousness yeah. and yeah. like holy shit i gotta get ah what's happening this is horrible um but yeah that's probably god that's now 16 years ago or so me playing on party booker before they they left the u.s market that um, is a long time it is a real long time ago i'm we're we're all getting pretty old at this point. I, I don't love it. If you could, uh, if you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? Well, okay. So I, I've just written a book uh, called Poker and Everything, which I am gifting to everyone. It's a free book, and so just purely because I've literally just finished it, it would probably have to be that. Although. I mean, I've got a list of books that I would recommend poker books wise, but yeah, no, poker and everything isn't, it's not a theory book. It's a, it's just a book about poker and everything else from yeah, my journey to how it relates to business life in general, everything. You, you mentioned it's free. Where can the chasing poker greatness listener go scoop it up for free? So you can download it for free at postflotpoker.com and there's a EPUB or PDF version there and it's about 75 pages so it's you know it's, a, it's an hour and a half to read it's not 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 strenuous it's it's fun and it's thought provoking it'll 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 make you think uh so if you like that sort of thing then um give it a go there there is also a print version at Amazon and it's at cost price it's very cheap um and uh, audible the the audiobook will be coming shortly it's just in approval so yeah cool i 
challenge the listener to go check that out. 75 pages, free is good, an hour and a half, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a relief from all the poker strategy and, you know, it's some, something to think about, you know, what's going on with poker, a, bit of, a little bit about the future and artificial intelligence, a little, a little bit about the past and, yeah, might educate you a little bit on some of the gaps of poker industry knowledge. May, it may or may not. I don't know. But it, <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it's fairly interesting. Uh, I think that like learning about AI, where poker is likely headed in the future and where pokers come from is, you know, at least for me who has this podcast exploring these very things is very, very interesting and appealing to me as a human being. Yeah, uh, I, I think, and I hope so. I hope non-poker people enjoy it as well because my school friends have read it and they've really enjoyed it. I don't know if they're biased or not, but it's uh, possible. I don't know though. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the the person, I guess. As far as like, if it's your mother, I'm going to say she's probably pretty biased, right? But an acquaintance in school, they'll probably tell you if it was shit. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What would it say? I've got to design a billboard. Just a message, you know, just a short message. They're driving past so that they can, it primes them to enter the casino, play their poker session. Breathe. Why breathe? Well, I think it's just one of those things which always helps me when I start to struggle. So some people do the whole meditation thing and, you know, I'm not one of those people, uh, but uh, and I, I know breathing kind of is meditation, but breathing helps me through difficult moments when I'm feeling stressed. Um, I, I, it usually resets me to, to a, a state where I feel comfortable. If I, if I start to feel my heart going or I start sweating or I start, you know, feeling uncomfortable in any way, then I, I default to a, you know, in, out, in, out, in, out, and then, that, that's usually enough usually a few seconds and then it's like oh i'm back to normal yeah we kind of naturally like when, when we're in those um you know those emotionally compromised mental states we sometimes breathe more shallowly right we kind of hyperventilate we don't take deep breaths and yeah i think just breathing in deeply making sure that your body has enough oxygen uh can do a lot for helping to kind of calm you down settle you then reset uh to focus on the task at hand see if i was good at marketing i'd have just said it'd be a big logo of postflotpoker.com <laughs> it's just a hypothetical though ben where you're really working on the the, you know, the billboard for postflot poker like as we speak right <laughs> oh dear yeah um all right, uh, a couple more questions, man. We'll wrap up, and you can hit the hay. What's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart? I can't say too much about it. I I am working on a project that's very near to my heart, and I'm going to be continuing to work on it when I'm back in the UK. But unfortunately, just I'm not able to discuss it. Brad, it's a secret project. It's a secret project that's near, so near and dear to your heart that you can't even talk about it publicly. It, it, it's not just my project. That's why if it, if it were down to me, 
I would I would uh, talk about it. But it's um, yeah, it is unfortunately a secret from everybody. It's so, under wraps. Eventually, it will have to yeah. be unveiled, though. You can let me know. Well, if we if I'm back on the podcast in a year or two, you know, may, maybe maybe I'll uh, well I will be able to. I think it's probably only secret for about six months. Okay, yeah. that that's good. I was going to say two years from now. If you can't talk about it in two years, this project's timeline is like <laughs> absurdly yeah. long. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll whenever we do have that conversation, I'll be more than happy to have you back on so we can talk about this secret project that I'm sure everybody's interest is now peaked in um, more than anything else that we've talked about in this show. Mystery they want is the to way know. forward. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. want to know what this is. Um, mm-hmm. Final question, sir. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, yeah, so we've already given it out, www.postfloppoker.com. And that's my home. So you'll find all the books. There's a couple of, there's a video course there on, on thought processes, which you might find interesting if you like my approach rather than Brad's, you know, my mine goes from GTOs to exploitative. His goes the other way around. You know, if you like my I- approach, that's the, that's the video course, but no, seriously, the, the, there's books and there's the, the post flop poker podcast, which uh, Brad's been on, on episode 110. So you might want to check that one out first. If you actually, it was pretty shit, wasn't it? But <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Just kidding. No, um, it's a it's a fun podcast. We do a, a couple of bits of strategy, and um, uh, and we have a a very very light hearted chat. Um, we we have guests on, uh, but not not every episode. So it's a slightly different structure. But give it a give it a try if you've not. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. It was a great I experience. Got- I can't say can't say enough kind words about you and Merv. Just great human beings, um, and. Yeah, I think thought process, by the way, you mentioned that. Uh, thought process is, is the, maybe the most important factor as it relates to you playing poker. Always try to upgrade your thought process, how you're thinking about hands, how you're thinking about spots. So postflotpoker.com, lots of value to be had in better understanding your thought process while you're playing cards. And with that said, sir, have a great rest of your evening. Get some rest and excited to talk to you about this mysterious project a little bit down the road. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Chasing Poker Greatness audience. Um, Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.